0: Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Moss Nissan. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at
1: this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
0: We affirm that in the early church, the elders of various congregations clearly understood that the reason God had raised them up to lead the church and to care for the souls of their flocks, the way they did it was by instructing them in the truths of the Word of God.
1: You've no doubt heard the old adage that when you're up to your chin in alligators, it's hard to remember that your real job is to drain the swamp. And maybe you've even felt like that a time or two. I know I sure have. We can get overwhelmed by too many smaller but still important demands from too many directions and they hinder us from accomplishing our bigger original objectives. Running a church is a perfect example. Most people probably have no idea how many different areas need attention in a typical local church body. Besides helping needy members, there is the kitchen, building maintenance, the budget and the bills... Deciding who can sign checks, writing and printing the bulletins, ordering the paper to print them on, and on and on it goes, right up to dealing with the ever-increasing governmental regulations. Once you get involved in church leadership, you discover how little you appreciated all the things that were going on in the background, and you had no idea. It's like seeing a duck on a calm lake. From the shore, it looks incredibly calm and serene, but if you could see under the duck, there's a whole lot of thrashing about going on down there. If the elders had to attend to all those details, they'd have no time for teaching. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our topic again today is the nature of the church. Over the past couple weeks, we've looked into the origin of the church, its foundation and its builder. Now we're considering its leadership. New Testament churches were governed by a team of elders, In our last class, Pastor Steve mentioned that one important characteristic of elders is a desire and ability to teach. Here he is now to talk about another characteristic before moving on to more detail about the content of their teaching. He'll also introduce those unsung heroes whose efforts free the elders to focus on their calling. We'll be starting off today in Acts chapter 2 if you want to have your Bible ready. Now here's Pastor Steve.
0: Secondly, we look at the, uh, in addition to having skill as a teacher, Paul says he must not be a new convert. Now, every one of us comes into the Christian life as a new convert, and so this is not a godliness issue, but new converts cannot serve as elders because they haven't had their character tested long enough. And there's no date set for this. You don't, you don't look and say, well, he's got six months, he's got a year. You'll just know it. You'll see how he handles adversities, how does he handle conflicts with people, how does he handle prosperity, how, do, how does he handle uh, differences of opinion, how does he operate when there's a trial, does he fall apart or does he seek God's grace, and all of that, time will just reveal that, but you don't put a, a new convert in the position of an elder, Paul says primarily because he's going to be prone to being lifted up with pride. He just can't handle it. He shouldn't be elevated to a position of authority over his peers, not yet. Now, this is where we left off last week. So up to this point, we have examined two essential issues concerning the men through whom Christ rules his church. First, we've seen that he rules his church through a plurality of elders, numerous elders that he raises up in each local assembly. Secondly, we've seen that these Plural elders must be godly. They must meet the qualifying standards set down by the Apostle Paul. But there is a third essential issue about the men that Christ rules his church through. And and really, folks, it's the heart of the matter. It's really all of this to get to this point. Because up to this point, we haven't really said how Christ rules through these men. How does he do it? This is the way. Christ rules his church by, note this, the written word of God. And he does this as godly elders teach his word to their congregations. That's how he does it. In other words, Jesus leads and directs his church from heaven by his written word, which he has inspired. And he makes sure that that word is made clear to his people by the various elders in the various local churches. See, this is really the most crucial and vital matter when it comes to this issue and question of how does Christ rule his people? He does it by governing his people through the authoritative word His Bible. That's why I said sola scriptura is so critical. It's not an outdated issue. It is the issue of Calvin's day. It is the issue of our day. Because why does he do this? Why is this so critical? Because the Bible accurately and sufficiently reveals Christ's heart and mind so that every Christian can know what Jesus wants him to do. That's how he communicates to us. It's not visions today, it's not dreams, it's not extra revelation, it is the written word of God. In other words, the written words of scripture are just as authoritative as if Jesus Christ were standing in our presence and verbally speaking to us. Now some of you may own red letter editions of the Bible. They put the words of Jesus in red and everything else is in black. You know, that may be helpful for you to see what Jesus said, but the words of Christ are no less or more authoritative than the rest of the Bible. It's all the word of God. It's all the word of God. So the question is then, if the Bible is indeed the word of God and Christ rules his church through this written authoritative word, how can his people know what his word means so that they can obey him? Well, the answer is they can know it Because in addition to their own responsibility to spend time reading and studying the Bible, Christ has given them elders for the specific purpose of teaching them the word of God with accuracy, with skill, and with insight. These elders are God's gifts to the church to open the word of God to us so that we might know the Lord's will as he dictates our lives from heaven. See, folks, as we examine the New Testament, we discover that unlike many evangelical churches today, every church that we read of in the book of Acts was intent and focused on learning the word of God from their spiritual leaders. Let me take you through the book of Acts, and you'll see this. Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter two, we read about the very first local church. It's the church at Jerusalem. It's the infant church, the baby church, as well as we could say it was the mother church. It was the first. And in Acts chapter 2, we read this in verse 42 about this church. They were continually devoting themselves, notice this, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So this church, it was very balanced. They devoted themselves to fellowship. The breaking of bread I take is the Lord's Supper and to prayer. But the first thing on this list is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That is the, the apostolic doctrinal teaching as the apostles who, by the way, served as the initial elders of this church because there was nobody else. They were the first elders of this local church as well as being apostles of all the churches. They taught them about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, This is not an isolated incident. This is not unique because they were the first church and the apostles were there. I wanna show you as we go through the book of Acts that everywhere we look where an apostle or somebody ministered, the focal point was always on teaching the word of God. Let's look for example at Acts chapter 18. We find Paul in the city of Corinth in Acts chapter 18 and notice this in verse 11 We read, now this is in Corinth, and he settled there a year and six months. So Paul was there a year and a half. What did he do? Teaching the word of God among them. Teaching the word of God among them. That doesn't mean that Paul didn't comfort and encourage people, but he did it by the word of God. He taught them the word of God. In Acts chapter 19, now Paul is in Ephesus. And notice what we read in verses 8 and 9. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So Paul's in the synagogue. He is uh, essentially evangelizing at this point for three months. Some, you're going to find out, have already come to faith in Christ, they're still there. He's preaching a way of evangelizing. Verse 9 says, But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, these are the unbelievers, obviously, speaking evil of the way before the people, he, that is Paul, withdrew from them, that is to say he withdrew from the synagogue, and took away the disciples' reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, Paul got fed up with all the opposition in the synagogue. So what he did, he apparently rented a building that belonged to a man named Tyrannus. Or it could be that the, that this property was named after this man, Tyrannus. But probably he was the owner. And Paul started his own daily Bible school. That's exactly what he's talking about. For two years, he taught the disciples the word of God. And I suspect... That Paul did this in the afternoon hours during the time when, when people normally took their breaks. The people in, uh, near the Mediterranean, even today, take afternoon breaks. They, the shops close down. This is true in Italy. Um, I don't know if it's known exactly as a siesta in every place in, in the, that it takes place. But that concept is there. They take a break for hours. And they rest. The shops close down. They open up later. I take it that Paul in the afternoon hours when everybody is resting. He was teaching the disciples at Ephesus the word of God. This went on for two years. He's teaching at Corinth. He's teaching at Ephesus. Then he has just a little bit of time in a place called Troas in, in uh, chapter 20 of Acts. Notice this. This is very interesting. He has just a little bit of time. What does he do? It says... In verse 7, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. So, um, long sermons are biblical, just so you know. <laughs> verse 8, and there were many lamps in the upper room where he was gathered together, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep, which I'm sure nobody here would ever follow, because notice what happened to this poor guy. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. By the way, let me just stop here and say, as I was reading recently, you know what the name Eutychus means? His name means good fortune, which essentially means that he was called lucky. That was his name. I mean, Lucky, if he was uh, speaking English, they'd call him Lucky. Now, I don't believe in luck because God is sovereign, but I do believe in God's grace. And God was most gracious to this young man because it says in verse 10, but Paul went down, fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, do not be troubled for his life is in him. Folks, it doesn't mean that he was still alive. I believe he died and the Lord performed a miracle through the apostle Paul. He came back to life. But notice this you would think that this would break up a meeting. No, no. Teaching is so important to Paul. said when he had gone back up, that means upstairs in this upper room, had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. All I want you to see is that this never stops. In Paul's ministry, in the ministry of the early church, it was teaching, teaching, teaching. I won't have you turn there, but in Acts chapter 20, we read the same thing that Paul calls for the elders from the church at Ephesus and he tells them that he taught them publicly in the synagogue. We know also he taught them publicly in the house of uh, Tyrannus or the school of Tyranus. And then he said, I, I taught you privately from house to house. Meaning that Paul, in addition to his public teaching, would visit the various members of the church and privately instruct them on the word of God. Incredible. But it's not only in the book of Acts that we see the teaching is the priority. The New Testament letters all stress this, all stress this so that these are commands. Where? Well, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 3, which we've already read that elders must be able to teach. Why? Because that's what they do. 1 Timothy, notice 1 Timothy chapter 4. I love this because in this passage, the Apostle Paul, or in this verse, the Apostle Paul outlines what biblical preaching is. It's really not that complicated. It takes work, but it's not that complicated to understand. Notice what he says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13. This would be my definition of expository biblical preaching. He says to Timothy, until I come, meaning until I get back with you, Timothy, here's what you're to do in the church. Pay attention or give yourself Give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. You know what biblical preaching and teaching is? Read the text, explain the meaning of the text, and exhort people to obey the text. That's it. That's it. That's what Paul said, Timothy, you're to do. As my representative, do that until I return. And when I return, I'll continue doing that. That's the implication. In First Timothy 5.17 which we've uh, already touched upon in previous weeks. He says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. That's financial remuneration, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. All elders work at preaching and teaching. Some labor more than others because of their situations and callings. In Titus, if you look over at Titus chapter 1, verse, verse 9 and following, here's what elders have to do holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he'll be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. He's talking about false Jewish teachers who he says they must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Paul says that an elder needs to know the word well enough to teach sound doctrine, to protect the flock, and to refute error, because there are some people who are upsetting whole households, he goes on to say. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, the writer says, obey them that have the rule over you, and just before that, he says that we are to imitate the faith of those who taught us the word of God. The, the first leaders in the church, whatever that church was, Uh, We don't know a whole lot about the Hebrews and their background, but whatever this Jewish assembly was and whoever founded it, their initial leaders taught them the word of God. And then 1 Peter 5.2, shepherd, Peter says, the flock of God among you, he tells the elders. Uh, Shepherd has a number of responsibilities, but his primary responsibility is to feed the sheep. So we affirm that in the early church, the elders of various congregations clearly understood that the reason God had raised them up to lead the church and to care for the souls of their flocks, the way they did it was by instructing them in the truths of the word of God. However, there came a time when that was threatened. There came a time at the beginning of the formation of the church when this commitment to teaching was threatened by important needs that arose in the church. Let me show you. Go back, if you will, to Acts. Acts chapter 6. This was a serious and potentially dangerous situation. Although they may not have recognized it completely at the time, it could have changed church history. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, so the churches were growing, this church was growing, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. The Hellenistic Jews were Jewish people who, who their primary language was Greek, not, not Hebrew. They were certainly Jewish, but they, their first Language was Greek. And the native Hebrews would be Jewish people whose first language was Hebrew. So there was a conflict, a complaint that arose because their widows, the Hellenistic Jewish widows, the Greek Jewish widows, were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to re- neglect the word of God in order to serve Tables. Now notice that. They said we can't come away from teaching scripture to serve tables. We can't solve this problem by serving tables. We would neglect the priorities of teaching. Therefore, they said, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What a wonderful thing they, they did for us because they forever set the priority of the word of God. The text goes on to say that they did choose seven men. These were the, either the early deacons, the first deacons, or certainly the men who functioned as deacons. And they took care of it so that the elders or the apostles could go back to teaching the word and to praying, commenting on this issue of elders being drawn away from the primacy of teaching God's word and praying, John MacArthur has written, understandably, elders cannot afford to allow themselves to be consumed with business details, public relations, minor financial matters, and other particulars of the day-to-day operation of the church. They are to devote themselves, first of all, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And he says, select others to handle the lesser matters. That's how you do it. But you don't neglect the word. It is a sad thing, though, that this is not followed in many, if not most, evangelical churches today. Churches that claim to doctrinally believe every word of Scripture, but they don't do it. They don't teach every word of Scripture. They hardly teach the Bible. And Why don't they emphasize Bible teaching? Because, generally speaking, these pastors become too busy doing other things that prevent them from sermon and lesson preparation. Several months ago, I received a form letter from a pastor, I would assume written to pastors all over our country, that uh, I think will give you some insight as to why pastors today are not focused as they should be on teaching their people. The letter comes from a pastor in Arkansas advertising a website that he was starting where pastors can quickly get all kinds of fresh thoughts for their sermons without having to spend a whole lot of time personally trying to gather this information. And here's what this pastor writes. I suspect we have this in common. As pastors, we're both wearing more hats than we ever dreamed possible. While I would love to have large blocks of time set aside for study, research, and reflection, the fact of the matter is life and death, babies, conferences, hospital visits, Sunday mornings, staff meetings, community involvement, budget issues, crisis management, well, he says, you get the point, have a way of interrupting our plans. Now, when you read something like that, you can begin to understand why so many Christians, though they may be in church every single Sunday and sometimes twice, are clueless when it comes to understanding biblical truth, why they lack discernment in distinguishing error from truth. It's because of their lack of understanding the word of God and To a large degree, they lack understanding of Scripture because their pastors are not teaching them the Word of God, maybe their parents too, but in the church, they're not being taught the Word of God. Bible teaching just is not a a, a premium.
1: A church my wife and I visit when we go to Ohio to see family is sadly typical of all too many churches. We go because of dear friends, not because we expect a lot of spiritual food. What passes for a sermon is almost always 10 minutes or shorter. And has little or nothing to offer that would equip believers for victorious living or to help them disciple other people. Not surprisingly, their numbers have been dwindling for decades. The atmosphere is more somber than triumphant, and they are probably less than a year from closing their doors. Even though they are surrounded by people starving for God's grace, and they are sad about the slow death they are experiencing, they seem clueless about how to change it. But to me, the problem is clear. They're hoping for a miracle but have no vision to become disciple-makers who make disciple-makers. Disciples need teachers, and they are in a denomination that will never send them a pastor who will teach them why they need to have that vision or how to become disciple-makers themselves. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside since 1981, and these daily studies in the Word are just one of Lakeside's ministries. Learn more about Lakeside at www.lakesidechapel.com. You can discover more about Verse by Verse at our own website, versebyverseradio.org. We have hundreds of previous broadcasts available for streaming or download at no charge. You should even find today's program, as a matter of fact, right there at the top of the message archive page. The list is sorted by topic, not by date but most any web browser will let you search by hitting Control-F and then typing the date you're looking for into the search field. It's a handy way to get caught up if you missed a broadcast. That website, again, is versebyverseradio.org. While I'm on the subject of opportunities to hear things, let me point out a special offer for those who have vision impairments. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind and you'd like a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800 838 Five nine two four, or visit www.blindbibles.com. That's eight hundred eight three eight five nine two four, or blindbibles.com. I'm Jerry Peterson. Thanks for listening today, and I hope you can join us for our next verse by verse. Pastor Steve will continue to look at the nature of the church. You might have noticed in your Bible reading that most of the epistles, the letters in the New Testament, were written to address some sort of problem in one or more churches. It might deal with false teaching, sin, or any number of other.